along, he let the mouse go. A few days later, the lion was stalking some of his prey, and as he was getting close to capturing his prey, a net captured him. And he realized that this was the end. The hunter had caught him, and it was going to be all over. And as he's in this net, he notices that same mouse come along beside him. And the mouse looks at the lion and says, do you want me to help you? And the lion, in his state of desperation, said, yes, please. The mouse chewed through the ropes and let the lion loose. The moral of the story was that kindness is not going to be unanswered. A kindness is not going to be unanswered. If you offer kindness to someone, kindness can be shown in return. But there was another characteristic that both the lion and the mouse showed in that more than kindness. Yes, there's a level of kindness in trying to help each other and allowing that mouse to live or in offering that lion a way of escape, but the content that was really being shown there was that of mercy. Showing mercy to that mouse and showing mercy to that lion, neither of those creatures had to show that characteristic. The lion easily could have ate the mouse and had a snack. The mouse could have easily allowed the lion to be destroyed, taking one more danger out of the forest. But mercy is one of those topics that as we go through our world and we see how people treat one another, how people show things to one another, this is one that's often overlooked. Showing mercy to another seems to be a sign of weakness in our society. No, you don't show mercy. If someone does wrong, they need to be punished. And absolutely, that can be the case. But mercy also has a place. Mercy also has a time and a place in our world. Why? Because God created it. And God expressed it Himself. But when it comes to this idea of mercy, this is not just allowing bad things to happen or allowing people to get away with bad things. And so this morning, I would like to consider this idea of understanding mercy, understanding true biblical mercy, the way that God intended it to be shown and not just how we can come up with our own definitions. As we've talked about through this entire series, breaking down the Beatitudes and looking at each individual one, we're trying to be Christ-like, and I really appreciate William leading that song, Oh, to be like thee, because it really touches on some of the things that we've been discussing throughout this series. Trying to be like Christ, well, if Christ taught about mercy, then it's something that bears repeating and it bears understanding, right? So first of all, let's notice this idea of understanding mercy by discussing what is mercy? What is mercy? If I were to open a dictionary and look at the word mercy, what am I going to find? And as I was preparing this lesson, I thought about how I wanted to approach this exact point and trying to describe this and how to give a definition. I think oftentimes we make a mistake when we just look at a definition of a word and not how it's actually illustrated. You see, in a dictionary, you see just the definition, but then right below that definition, what do you find? It's uses, right? How this word would be used in a sentence. What's the way this would be shown to another person? And so, looking at the characteristics of mercy, let's try to use that to build our definition. First of all, mercy includes pity. Mercy includes pity. Now, we're here in the South, and so we probably hear the word pitiful about 30 times per month, week, day. <laughs> Oh, that's pitiful. Oh, that's, that's pitiful. That person is pitiful. Do you know what that word actually means? The word pitiful? Full of pity. This is the person expressing it, not the one receiving it. Pitiful. God is described as being pitiful, and we are to show pity to those who are around us. Let's look at the book of James chapter 5. That's James chapter 5. 
Now, as we know from the book of James in particular, James is really the Proverbs of the New Testament, and so he goes through and gives us these pieces of wisdom and these things that we can follow after to really help in our Christian walk. But specifically, in verse 11 of chapter 5, he says, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. He's compassionate. Pity really carries that idea of compassion as well. I see the state that you're in, and I have compassion on it. I see where you are. I understand this is a terrible place, and I want to try to help that, try to bring you away from that, show you a better way. Also in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter describes some of the same idea, but slightly differently. Let's look in verse 8. 8 of chapter 3, he says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. Now, verse 9 in particular, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. It's interesting there because the first passage in James chapter 5 illustrates how God is full of compassion. And then James, or first Peter, excuse me, tells how Christians are to be compassionate. Mirroring our Creator, mirroring who He is, trying to show that to others. Now, compassion is difficult. It's very difficult. Why? Because when we are mistreated, the last thing we want to be is compassionate. If you hit my car on the side of the interstate out of anger, the last thing I want to do is buy you an ice cream. I don't want to do that. I don't want to help you. I want you to pay for what you did. Now, are we talking about this idea that we're just supposed to excuse things? Because that's how a lot of people like to describe compassion, right? Well, you know, they just had a really hard day, so... Compassion doesn't excuse the crime. Because compassion isn't about that person and their guilt or their state. Compassion is about how you respond to their guilt or their state. How we treat others is important. Do we think that telling someone about the gospel, telling someone they're wrong, telling someone that they need to become a Christian, that they need to be saved from this world, do we take that as compassion or hatred? The world likes to call it hatred. The world likes to say, just let them live how they want to live. I heard a statement just the other day. An atheist was online and said, Christians, can you just let me go to hell? Think about the mindset behind that. They become so angry at being told their state and being told where they need to be and what they need to do that they instead hate God and His people. Compassion includes more than just being nice to someone when they do wrong or being understanding or being helpful. It also can include correction. But mercy includes this idea of pity, this idea of compassion. But what else does this include? Mercy also includes restraint. Oh, if people could practice just an ounce of this in our world. (laughs) Restraint. Not doing the thing that I have a knee-jerk response to do. The thing that I really want to do. I heard a preacher on one occasion who says, I have to practice restraint constantly because when I hear how some people are hypocritical throughout the week, it's all I can do not to just call them out. He says, sometimes it's not the time or the place to shout from the pulpit, hey, I know what you did this weekend. Restraint. Restraint. Not doing what I want to do. God expressed this on many occasions. Just go out throughout the history of the children of Israel and you can see a lot of restraint exercised by God. Now someone might say, 
didn't God make them wander in the wilderness? Didn't God send fiery serpents among the people? Yeah, that's restraint. You know how I know that? Because he told Moses, I want to wipe these people out. And Moses said, please no. Let's not do that. God expressed restraint on the people of Israel. And the reality was they deserved to be destroyed on many occasions. But God exercised that restraint. God said, no, I'm going to offer you mercy. I'm going to offer you a way of escape. If you'll turn back to me, you will be blessed. That's how God treated His people. That's how He treats us today as well. But it includes this idea of restraint. Let's look in Galatians chapter 5. That's Galatians chapter 5 here. Paul writing to the church in Galatia tells us in verse 23 or specifically starting verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. What's this next word? Self-control. Self-control. That is something that we really struggle with. Not just in our country, but in the world as a whole. Throughout all of human history, self-control is a difficult thing. Because what is the fundamental part of self-control? A denial of what I want. A denial of what I want. I would love to have a million dollars, but I'm not going to rob a bank to get it. There's a level of self-control there. But that's not that's the an extreme extent. What about the case of whenever someone mistreats me, disrespects me, is ugly to me, that I just sit there and I have bitter hatred for them? Or I, like the young child, whenever they don't get what they want, I cross my arms and I walk away all angry. Self-control is more than just not saying something in the moment. It also is about controlling myself in private. Restraining myself from engaging in things that are wrong. Jesus himself described in the book, or Matthew chapter 5, that he had, you've heard that it happened, said, Thou shalt not kill, but I say unto you, He who hates his brother without a cause is in danger. He who hates his brother without a cause. See, that's taking place in the mind. Jesus is saying, I'm not just dealing with the actions, I'm dealing with the heart behind the action. He was trying to express this idea of showing restraint, showing control of yourself, not allowing these other things to take place. But mercy also includes selflessness. Selflessness. The world says, get what you want, take it how you want to get it. And if you don't have respect, you make sure you get it. Christianity, on the other hand, tells us to be selfless. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, specifically the phrase that's used there is preferring one another. Preferring one another. You see, it's not just about what I want. It's about what the other person needs. There are some historical studies and discussions about military personnel and how they were taught and how they were trained to fight. And some militaries were literally taught and trained, you don't fight for yourself. No, 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 no. You don't fight for yourself. You fight for the guy in the foxhole next to you. Why? Because if that guy's fighting for you, you're fighting for him, you're not going to hesitate to do what needs to be done to protect your comrade. 
You're not going to hesitate when the enemy attacks to take care of that person. Now that might be a physical risk to you. That might be a danger to you, but you're willing to step in the way. Why would Jesus tell us, or specifically Paul through the book of Romans, why would He tell us that we're to be preferring one another? Because friends, if my thought is about the person in the seat next to me and not on myself, it's going to be a much more peaceful church. It's going to be a much more peaceful church because it's not about when my feelings were hurt. It's not about how I didn't like how the service was done. It's not about how I feel about the paint color or the carpet color. It's about the soul of the person next to me. And then all those things seem quite trivial, don't they? Seems kind of pointless. Do you realize we can be a church without a building? Do you realize we can be a church without being able to dress up nice every service? The reality is if we can follow after God without all the creature comforts. This is a blessing. This is a comfort. But the second that a building, the second that an attitude, the second that a person, the second that a group of people becomes the idol of the church, that ceases to be God's church. Because the discussions start to be about how can we make that better and not how does God feel about what we're doing. Selflessness. Preferring others. Preferring what is necessary. Not trying to placate to all their feelings. Not trying to make sure they're always happy and comfortable. But make sure that their soul is in good spiritual condition. That's our goal. That's our mission. As a church of the Lord, we're trying to follow after Him, trying to make sure that all things are done as He would intend. So mercy includes pity, mercy includes restraint, and mercy includes selflessness. But the next thing we have to consider is who receives mercy? Who receives mercy? Does everyone get a free pass? Does God just love everyone so much that everyone's going to be okay? Well, mercy is offered to those who offer mercy first and foremost. We talk about in our specific text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, "...blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy." See, God offers mercy to those who are willing to show it. I'm reminded of what took place in Matthew chapter 18 with the unfaithful servant, how the Lord had forgave him this massive debt, the one that he could never pay off. He was going to be sold into slavery to make up for it. And he just pleads with the Lord to forgive it, and the Lord forgives it. Now, what does that servant go out and do? He starts being the most merciful and the most compassionate person you ever could find, right? He was helping everyone in need. Is that what you read in your Bible? No. No, this man goes out and finds another servant who owed him just a minute amount of money, just barely anything. He grabs him by the shirt and he says, you pay me all, and because he wouldn't pay him, he threw him into prison. I often wonder sometimes if these parables or these descriptions that Jesus talked about, if they were real situations, you've got to wonder what on earth is going through someone's mind. You just had this massive debt forgiven and you think that the Lord is not going to be upset with you if you don't show the same? The funny thing about merciful people is that when they see mercy that's not shown, it angers them. It frustrates them. And God is full of mercy. When He sees mercy not shown to others, 
What I am telling to another person is I am your judge, jury, and executioner. I said how I feel about this, how my position is about this, is more important than how the Lord told me to treat you. See, we can talk all day long about how the world acts and how the world does this and how the world does this. Friends, the world is the world. The world is always going to act like the world. You've heard the statement, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, if it looks like a duck, it's what? A goose, right? No, it's a duck. The descriptions all match up. God told us from the beginning, the world has sin. Sin is going to be the the thing that takes place predominantly in the world. There's going to be few who find the way to heaven. So why are we surprised when the world acts like the world? Why are we shocked when things continue to go bad? They're not trying to fix it. That's the world. Because friends, if the world could fix itself, or if we could make this a paradise on earth, there would be no need for God. Because we would have everything figured out. We show mercy because someone showed mercy to us first. And just like that servant, we have been blessed far beyond we truly can imagine. Our lives were destroyed. But our Lord stepped in. Those of us who wear the name Christian, those of us who have been baptized into Christ, those of us who are a part of His kingdom, have a salvation from this evil. And our mission and our goal should be to want everyone else to have the same. That should be the heart that we have. But mercy is also offered to those who have a penitent heart. Mercy is not going to be shown to those who are just sorry they got caught. That I'll just do better at hiding it next time. All of us make mistakes. All of us sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God. That's true. However, what is my heart's response to it? Some struggle with this mindset of like, well, I don't feel like I'm sorry enough. I don't feel like I I, I feel as much as I probably should when I do wrong. That's because understanding the way to sin is a maturing process. It's a growth process. And it's not always going to be easy to follow after the Lord, but it's also not always going to be easy to really put our sins in perspective. Because it's our sins, right? Right? If I do wrong, what's the first thing I'm going to want to do? Make excuses. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I I cussed that guy out on the interstate, but you know, he just really cut me off in... Making excuses for wrong. Making excuses for a mindset and an attitude toward another person. I try to lower it and show it's not as bad as it sounds. But a penitent heart says, Lord, I sinned against that person or I sinned against myself, but most importantly, I sinned against you. Remember how the prodigal son responded to his state? He was going to go to his father and what was the speech he had prepared? Father, I have sinned against you and before the Lord and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of your hired servants. See, the prodigal son understood my actions had consequences. I am genuinely not worthy. And based on the culture at the time, he was exactly right. 
he would have had no right to go back to that father and try to take his place. It was by the mercy of that father he was allowed back into his station. And what's the next thing we see in that parable? The older brother was not showing the same mercy, not showing the same compassion. And what does the father tell him? This older brother comes in and says, but this, when this thy son comes back and tries to take over, then you're killing the fatted calf for him. I love how the father responds. I love the phrase that he uses. Because he answers that older brother at his own game. He says, but when this, what? Thy brother. He was putting things in perspective. He says, you were not willing to show this mercy. You were trying to separate yourself from him and say, that's your son. He's no relation of mine. And the father says, oh, yes, he is. Oh, yes, he is. And you better treat him as such. Yes, it is important that we show mercy. Yes, it is important that we have this penitent heart, that we try to make things right, but we can't always have genuine forgiveness for others. I can't forgive someone. I can't have that mercy. I can't step in the place of God and say, no, God, it's okay. They have... God's the true judge. God's the one who makes that judgment call whether or not that person was right or wrong. My purpose, my mission, is to follow what God says. And if God tells me to show mercy, then I better be merciful. I better show mercy to those who need it. But finally, how do I do this? How do I show mercy? It's easy to say we need to be merciful people. It's easy to say we need to be evangelistic people. It's easy to say all these things from the pulpit, but if we don't know how to do it, it's kind of a waste of breath. <laughs> it's kind of a waste to just say we need to do these things but not show how. So how do I show mercy? How do I show this mercy? I show mercy by praying for my enemies. Ooh, this one's hard. This one's hard. I'm sure all of us at one point or another have that one person who you just want nothing to go good for. It's the kind of person that you say, I hope that your present on Christmas says fragile and it falls on the plane. There's that one person. But he tells us that we're to pray for our enemies to do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Why, God? Because at one point, you were the one that was doing the persecuting. At one point, you were the one that was evil. At one point, you were an enemy of mine, but I showed mercy. And if you want to be like me, you have to do the same. Praying for our enemies. How else? I show mercy by accepting the redeemed. This one might sound a little bit easy to do, but let me illustrate for a moment. There's that person in the community that everyone knows their reputation. Everyone knows what they do and how they live. And they come into the church assembly. They come forward. They're met with an elder or the preacher. And he says, I want to be baptized into Christ for the remission of our sins, my sins. And that happens. And then what's the thing that happens with the rest of the group? 
Yeah, I wonder if that took. Yeah, I wonder if that guy actually repented. It's nothing new. Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, the apostle Paul, at the time the man Saul, became a member of the Lord's church. And everyone knew who this guy was. Everyone knew what he did. And they were afraid of him when he became a Christian. They didn't want to welcome him into his midst. This is a trap. This is a trick. There's no way he's actually one of us. And it took Barnabas stepping in and saying, no, this is our brother to make any sort of change. Friends, we show mercy by accepting the redeemed. If someone comes forward, becomes a member of the Lord's church, it is not your place to determine whether or not their heart was right. If they show it for a fact later on, that's one thing. If they choose to be however they want to be and just wanted to get wet, that was their choice. But it's not our choice, it's not our right to determine whether or not they're becoming a Christian. If they tell you what they believe, if they tell you that they're becoming a member of the Lord's church, that they want to be baptized for the remission of sins, that they show you how this is, there's no way we can judge that. Who knows the heart of a man save the heart of the man that is in him? I can't tell what anyone else is thinking. So it's not my place to determine. I show mercy by accepting the redeemed, but also I show mercy by helping those who are in need. By helping those who are in need. Matthew chapter 25, verses 32 through 46 in particular, Jesus is describing the day of judgment, how there's going to be some on that day that He tells them, enter into the joys of your Lord. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was sick and in prison, you, you treated me and you were visited me. And they asked the Lord, they said, when did we do these things? We never saw you in prison. We never saw you naked. We never saw... He says, when you did this to the least of these, my brethren, you did this unto me. When you help those who are in need. When we reach out to those who are less fortunate. When we support those who are sick. When we support those who are brokenhearted. We're not just doing that for ourselves or just to look good. We're not doing that as a PR stunt for the Cookville Church of Christ. We're doing that because the Lord wants us to. We're doing that because that's what God expects of us. Showing mercy to those who the world has shown none. Mercy. A simple word, but a difficult practice. Understanding mercy is a fascinating thing because if I understand mercy, I understand my position. I understand where I was or where I am. Where are you this morning? Are you someone who needs mercy? Or are you someone who is showing mercy? Based on what we studied this morning, only you can answer that question. Only you can look within yourself and you can see what you've been doing or how you live. Maybe this morning you never became a member of the Lord's church. You've never actually had this mercy that's offered. He made the plan available for you and for me. Hearing the word, believing it to be true, upon believing that word to be true, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, change our mind, which brings a change of life. Upon that repentance that change of course, that following after the Lord saying, I'm going to do what He wants me to do, we're willing to repent of all of our past sins, or confess all of our past sins, and confess that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. To say He's exactly who He said He was, according to Romans 10.10. 10. And based upon that confession, 
that following after the Lord, that saying, I'm going to be one of His, we'll be happy. No, not happy. We'll be ecstatic to baptize you into Christ this morning. To bury that old man of sin, to raise you to walk in newness of life, according to Romans chapter 8. But maybe you're a member of the Lord's church. Maybe you already went through all of that, but maybe you haven't been showing mercy. Maybe you've allowed the world to come back into your life to turn you away from Him, and maybe you need mercy shown to you. Our Lord promised that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, under the condition we confess and make things right. If you have any need this morning, don't hesitate. Don't wait for a more convenient day. Come as together we stand as we sing.